0: This morning, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, We're going to put a pause on our series that we've been going through, through 1 Corinthians, uh, the um, Prodigal Church series, for two weeks. This week, we're going to focus in on service. What does it mean for us to serve one another? Next week, we'll talk about connecting together, uh, and this is in honor of the ministry fair. Um, Good news is that I will try to preach a little shorter this week. Don't clap, none of you. Uh, I think somebody clapped over here uh, in the first service, and it totally hurt my feelings. So, uh, but uh, we'll try to make it a little shorter service for you to have the opportunity to connect together and to consider some ways that you can serve. I love this story of a couple that were walking their dog on their ranch in Northern California. And um, it was just about 10 years ago. And while they were walking on their ranch, they had noticed uh, for some time, that there was this old tin can that, that it looked like it was like 100 years old, and it actually turned out to be over 100 years old, that was in this tree that had kind of grown around it. And then on the side, there was this this stone that they called it the saddleback stone. And um, while they were walking the dog, they noticed that there's this tin can that was on the ground, or like a metal can, and they, they ha- had walked by it before, rusted out, but they, they pulled it out, and it was very heavy, and they thought maybe it was filled with lead paint or something like that, so they start carrying this thing back to their house, and, and as they do, the, it kind of was rusted, and like gold coins started falling out of this can. Well, it would turn out to be thousands of gold coins that dated back to the mid 1800s, and um, they would find out later that it was worth over $10 million. So, okay. So, so if you found, t- some of you are like, there's a tin can in, b- in my backyard. Let's see what's going on. But, but okay. So if, if you found $10 million today, what would you do with it? I'm, ser- I'm serious. Like, what would you do? With, with a gift or a, a discovery like that. Some of you are like, oh, I totally like hooked Jesus up, right? Because you're in church, right? That's what you do. Uh, and some of you are like, like I would do the, if you, you know, so the ten can thing. Um, but for, for others of us, when you think about that gift, this is what Wikipedia told me that these guys did, was they, um, they, they were so nervous because they realized that this was incredibly valuable. They put it in, in an igloo cooler and buried it in their yard again until they could figure out what to do with it. I love that story. So so today we're going to look at a passage of scripture where the Lord Jesus uses a parable, a teaching that's intended to challenge us, in what we know of as the Olivet Discourse, the time period when he's teaching his disciples about what to expect in the future. And in that Olivet Discourse, he teaches them about anticipating the imminent return of Christ. And it's going to say in the text, it's going to happen soon. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. So, So now we get to anticipate the Lord returning when... But soon, right? We get to look forward to Him returning, and then and that first one the, the, in the parable that He taught, He said, "It's like we want to be people who anticipate and expect the Lord to return." And in this section of scripture, what we're going to see is the Lord Jesus sharing with us what should be a familiar parable or one that you've been exposed to before called the parable of the talents. And and as we study the parable of the talents, you're going to be reminded of the fact that God desires for you and I to take what he's given us. This isn't just about like physical talents or uh, spiritual gifts, or it's about resources. It's about all kinds of investments that God's placed in our life. And his desire for you and I is to be people who take it and to use it for his glory and honor. Uh, There's this phrase that faithful servants receive from in this story that Jesus tells that they say, he says, enter into the joy of your master. And then he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Boy, I want to hear that someday. And today, as you study this passage together with me, I'm going to challenge some preconceived notions that we might have. That, that might be that other people have more gifts than I do. They, they've received more, that they've been more blessed than I am. And so I get a buy, or I, I get an excuse not to engage it. In fact, the Lord is going to call the person who does that a slothful and wicked person. So he's going to say to us, You have a job to do, you have a privilege and a responsibility. And part of what that's going to look like is us taking our financial resources, us taking our physical resources, our spiritual resources, and us being able to say that we want to worship the Lord with them. Now, my job as a pastor this morning isn't to make you, um, to, to guilt you into anything. You remember, biblically, we're told that, that God does not desire for us to give grudgingly or out of necessity but he wants us to be people who give cheerfully. And so this morning, this isn't about, God doesn't lack anything, by the way. And for some of us, as you walk in, I bumped into a friend at a a hardware store this last week. He goes to a different church and he was commenting on uh, how things have been going at his church. And he's like, what's great is my pastor doesn't preach on giving like ever. Like that was his highlight for the last year, right? Now, Now this morning, I understand that times like this, when we talk about giving or investing resources, that there's a part of this that it can feel like it's manipulative, or the desire is to. I'm not preaching on it because of the state of Hope Church. In fact, I want to encourage you. Uh, this last week, we celebrate the fact that we're just um, a, few, a few weeks away from paying off the church office buildings that are on the um, other side here. That's that's an incredible thing. You guys have given sacrificially, and you guys can like, clap or whatever. It's really a it's great news. Um, that, that, was, was at one time the parsonage for the building that's in between us here, that, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And several of you have gotten in there, and you hung drywall, and you leveled the floors, and that's where my office and our ministry staff team serves over there. And we're so grateful for the Lord's provision. And, and there's other ways. Some of you have tracked with, with things like the church budget that I put in my weekly email, and, and you see those numbers, and the Lord's provided for us. He's blessed us, and uh, our staff team has worked hard to to be responsible with finances. But I want you to do not allow yourself to get confused, like that, that's not what this message is about. This message isn't to manipulate or twist your arm. Uh, but I want to remind you that the Lord Jesus talked about the investment that he'd placed in our lives. That one-sixth of the Gospels and one-third of the parables address the subject of stewardship. And Jesus wasn't a a fundraiser. Jesus understood this. He he tells us the simple truth that where your treasure is, there your what will be? Yeah, where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there. And so, when Jesus talked about it, and when I challenge you this morning about this, I want you to see your treasure, your time, your talents. And and by the way, the time that you have is the most precious gift that you have, right? That, That that I want you to see these as opportunities for us to glorify the Lord in the way that we invest them. So we want to unbury the treasures that we've experienced in our life and we want to use them for his glory. So so when we when we recognize that this is a message that God has for all of us I want to remind you that God has instilled a purpose for you in your life. And I want to remind you this first point that's going to flow out of the text this morning. Is you have been given more than you think you have. Everything that you and I have is on loan. That there's a sense of urgency in this parable as Jesus teaches it. That he, he said that there was a man who chose not to act. Um, and then, but there was a man who urgently, eagerly pursued what it meant to invest The gift that God had placed upon his shoulders. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 13. It says this, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now, this is tying it to the previous verses that said that we can anticipate the imminent return of Christ. The king's going to return. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants... And he entrusted to them his property. So this is his resources that he's going to put on his servants. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and each according to his ability, and then he went away. So, so the parable, this story that Jesus is going to tell, is that there's this master who is representing God in his gift for his people, that there was an investment that he made in these people, The talent is a really significant thing for us to understand that that number or the description of a talent wasn't like we use a penny or a dollar or a hundred dollar bill, but it represented value and wealth. And it represented about 20 years of a workman's wages. Okay. So, so when we talk about this, some of you can do the math with me right now. So I want you to think about in a lifetime or in 20 years, what, how many, how, how, what would it look like to, to assess how much money you've actually made and not paid out at all, but just what would that look like from that first paper route or from the time you picked weeds for a quarter in your house to at your time of graduation when you uh, cashed that last social security check? What, what is it that your, your wealth of your life would be assessed at? And then you take that and we would understand that as being a talent, a, a financial number. And, and what he's going to say is this immense amount of wealth is going to be given so that people invest it. And it's significant for us to understand that there's different amounts that he gives. And I think that's one of the ways that we excuse ourselves from obeying the Lord, is that we're sensitive to the fact that we're a two-talent person or a one-talent person, and we recognize that there's other five-talent people around us. In fact, we would love for other people to do the hard work. And the passage doesn't allow us to get away with that. But what it says to us is it says, yes, uh, according to his skill, the person who had five talents, this immense amount of money, he is given another five talents to invest each according to his ability. And then he goes away. And the one that has two talents, he's going to give two talents. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful image of him saying, all right, what are you going to do with it? The one that has one, he gives one. It says this in verse 16, he who had received the five talents... At once and traded with them, and he had received the talents, he um, went at once and he traded with them, and he made five talents more, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. This encourages me when I look at this because it, it reminds me that what we do with what we 've been given says a lot to us about our view of the God who gave it to us. The difference between these three is that we're going to see the one who had five talents, he's going to invest these in such a way that they're multiplied to another five talents. The one who has two talents, he's going to invest them in such a way that we get this little hint from the one that has one talent. And I'm guessing if I put myself in their shoes, that they maybe were sensitive to the fact that others receive more than them. And what we know about the story is that ultimately he's going to be paralyzed. He's going to bury it, take a hole, he's going to dig it, and he's going to stick the funds under the ground, and, and then he's going to wait for the king to return. And in that process, he's going to say this statement about the giver of the money. He's going to say, you take what's not yours. You're, 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 you, are, you have too high of expectations. You, you're unfair. And so instead of considering this as a mode of worship and response to the giver, instead what he chooses to do is to um, malign the giver, to, to underestimate, to, to declare that, that the one who gave it isn't sufficient, isn't, is dangerous. And his view of God limits his ability to serve the body of Christ. I love in verse 16 when it says that he who had received the five talents went at once. Have you ever seen the kid in your neighborhood that's missing the school bus and he's like doing the full sprint, right? You guys know the, the instant, uh, the, the, or maybe we can relate more to the, the toilet that's clogged and it's starting to flow. You, you react, right? There, there's an equal and opposite reaction. You, 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 you act quickly. And here what we see is not um, lethargic response to the gift, But instead, the one who received it invests it. He takes it seriously, and we see the fruit of that. He traded with them, and he made five talents more. This isn't a study in economic theory at this point. Don't be confused here. This is about him saying, I gave you this. How did you receive it, and what did you do with it? So also, he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent, he went and he dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. It's time to understand this. We we understand this as a description of the future judgment that we anticipate when the Lord returns. So here, he settles the accounts, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. Do you hear in that language that he understood that these were on loan, that the things that he had received were not his, but they were to be used for the glory of the one who gave it? I think for, the, for those of us who are wrestling with what it means to serve the Lord in our life, that it's essential that we understand our time, our treasure, and our talents as ultimately being God's, right? They're still His. They're on loan, and we invest them to the best of our ability. That's the way he looked at it. He says, "'Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more.'" And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. What we know about the rest of the story is these five talents are now turned into 10 talents. They're gonna be given to him as his own gift. And this description of what you and I can anticipate in heaven is God's grand provision for us through our faithfulness and obedience to him. That's exciting, isn't it? That's way better than cryptocurrency, by the way. The, The multiplication effect of what God's doing. And it's not just the five that was turned into the 10, but it's, it's the one from the unfaithful servant that's going to be included in this. And there's a celebration of faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. That, that obedience, the sense of urgency, the recognition that we're not going to wait until tomorrow is something that I hope and pray is a part of your story. I hope and pray that you're not a person who rationalizes disobedience or not investing what God has given you because of the many excuses that we can have. I I have lived that at different times in my life. I've had the privilege of serving on pastoral staff teams that had 20-some pastors on the team. And, And there are times when I'm around people who are way more gifted than I'll ever be, that have more experience, more education, more opportunities. And and, and I know that there's a temptation inside of our hearts to be able to say, well, th- well that's for them. That's, that's their responsibility. If you're a two-talent person, often you can find yourself looking at what other people have and you, re- you ignore the fact that you've been given more than some, but you recognize what you haven't been given. You know what I love about the two-talent person in this story is that they invest their gifts as well. They, they put it to work. They put their faith in action And in that experience in verse 22, what we recognize is that they choose to be faithful with what's been given. It says this, And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of God of your master. You know, our success is less important than our faithfulness to what God has given us. Do you believe that truth? That, that our success is less important. This is about being faithful with what God has provided. He calls the faithful person a slave. That, that's not an appealing term for us, but we understand this as saying, Lord, you are the boss. I, I want to trust you. I want to submit to your will. I want to obey you. And, and I and I love the fact that that this comes from a high view of God, right? God, you're worthy of it. I I love in in Isaiah chapter 6, you guys remember the story of Isaiah given this image, uh, this view into the throne room of God. And and here Isaiah finds, he he declares, holy, the the angels are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And and there's just this incredible scene and and his response is a natural one when you encounter the living God. He says, "Woe, woe." Whoa, who am I? A man of unclean lips. And then God in his kindness cleanses him through this this coal that cleanses him. And then And then after that, he says this phrase, here I am, send me. In other words, put me to work, right? That natural progression is what I think God desires of us. When we worship him, we worship him not just with our lips or our songs, but with our lifestyle, right? With our understanding of how we use the resources and the time and the the talents that he's invested in our lives, but here we see a tragedy actually that came out of this, that there was a man who had a low view of God, that that he misunderstood God's gifts. He became overly cautious. He questioned the character of God. It says this in, um, in verse 24. It said, the one who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you'd scattered no seed. In in other words, he's very, he's questioning the very character of God. By the way, this is happening today a lot. I think for some of us, we look at the way some Christians behave. We look at, 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 at some people's actions and we look at that and we say, well, I want nothing to do with that. And we use it as an excuse to disobey and dishonor the God who's given us a responsibility to be faithful to what he wants us to do with our time, our treasure, and our talents. And so here what this, this uh, man says, the unfaithful servant, is he, he says, um, he says you, you reap what you don't sow. You gather where you, don't, you put no seed. And then it says, I was afraid. This is not good fear. That is reverence and respect. This is this is woe is me, and it's paralysis. And I think that for some of us, we're tempted by that these days. He says, I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. I can just picture him, you know, with the, 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 the gift of the talents. Again, an incredible amount of wealth. You can almost see the dirt on it as he hands it up to his master. You know, there's no excuse, the third point this morning, there's no excuse for us to bury what we have been given. I think we can find excuses to bury what we've been given. We can compare and contrast ourselves. We can wish that we had more than what we've been given. We can find ourselves misunderstanding the character of the God who gave it to us. But the the tragedy of verse 26 is this. It says this, but his master answered him, now remember, the others were declared as good and faithful servants. His declaration is, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather, where I have not um, scattered no seed, where I've scattered, the, the question mark there, he's not agreeing with him that this is the character of the giver. He's, he's understanding that that's your excuse. That's why you choose not to obey me. Verse 27, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Remember, it's always God's. Like, it's always his. It's never been ours. It's always been on loan. He says, you should have. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. He Chose to ignore building the kingdom of God, and the end result was that he missed out on the privilege of joining what God was doing. And he also missed out on the privilege of hearing from his master, Well done, good and faithful servant. For to everyone who has will be given more, and to he who has, um, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, so that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is important for us to understand that Jesus will return soon, and we will have the privilege of giving an account of the lives that we've chosen to live. What I thank the Lord for is through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I can anticipate, and you can anticipate if you've accepted Christ, well done, good and faithful servant, that you can anticipate because of of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, That we can anticipate his provision and his celebration of our faithfulness. But for some, all three of them in this parable had been exposed to the master. There are some who choose to ignore the gift of the master. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell the rest of the story. That there's consequences of, of faithfulness. Well done and good and faithful servant. And there's consequences of unfaithfulness. That the unfaithfulness we recognize as people, we will reap what we've sown. That there's a recognition that there is a result of that investment. And it says this, going on in verse 31, it says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all of the nations, and they will will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats." And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We understand this invitation comes from the the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. The lost have been found. Amen? That's, that's, That's worth rejoicing. This is an exciting day. But we also recognize that there are some, remember all three of these individuals were exposed to the master. But here the response, verse 35, for I, he goes on to say this. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And there they're, um, they're kind of scratching their heads. Like, when, when did we do that for Jesus? Like, When did we honor him in this in intimate and personal way? Uh, it's kind of fun to think about the fact that he goes from this, this massive idea of eternity and heaven and the judgment seat of Christ, and, and he brings it down to like helping out your neighbor and being kind to someone and caring about the details and the mundane routine of life. And, and what his answer is is quite profound. He says... Um, he says, um, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me in verse 37. And then he says, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. In other words, what he's saying is, when we serve one another, yes, the church is based upon that foundation, But when we serve one another in the right way, it's a form of worship to the God of the universe. That we recognize that people are precious to him and therefore they're precious to us, that they're worth our investment with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and I I recognize that there are some the, the parable goes on to tell the story of those who didn't do that and the consequences for that. And I just remember this sticks out to me an incredible story. When we were in Southern California. I received a call at the church from a local hotel. And they said that there was a man that had lived there for about 30 years in this hotel. It wasn't a fancy hotel. It wasn't a nice hotel. And he had passed away. And the people who worked in that hotel were asking if I would do a funeral service for this man. They said they knew very little about him. That he ordered food out. That he, he lived a very um, a quiet um, life. He, he was like a hermit in this little hotel room. Well, while I was in the process of finding out more about him, and then um, recognized that we, we were told through through other people involved in a larger story that he was incredibly wealthy. So he, he had all of this research. He had a, a big family, but he rejected them, was living in this rundown hotel in this little community, isolated from everything that was precious. And at the end of his life, what he ended up doing was dying in, a, in solitude away from, from everything that would be precious to him. In fact, as I was preparing for that funeral, I got a phone call from one of his family members that was to inherit the wealth that he had invested his life in prior to this lifestyle. And, and oh, we're not doing a funeral. <laughs> I, I, there, there's nothing about his story that's worth celebrating. It's tragedy, right? It's a, it's a sad story. You read about this. I want to tell you about a different story. As we conclude this message this morning, we just, we recognize that for some of us, that, that temptation to, to build our own kingdom, kind of do our own way, kind of isolate. And so that's one way to invest our resources. But Uh, Another story was of a man, his name is Donald Schaefer, some of you know him, Um, some of you respect him like I do, but um, Pastor Schaefer, about 10 years ago, came down with a form of cancer um, that wreaked havoc on his body, and um, the treatments were very difficult and ultimately what he decided to do was instead of, of staying under those treatments um, because they were very difficult for him and the Lord hadn't chosen to heal him, that, that he was going to go off some of the meds. He stayed on some, but that he was going to invest uh, the last year of his life, really, um, in doing what might sound shocking to some of you, and that was to go to work. In fact, uh, I worked at the church where he had um, been the founding pastor of, and uh, his office was like six offices down from mine. And so the last year of his life, he would regularly come into the church offices. He'd pray, he prayed. Avail- I, mean, I remember sitting down with him and studying God's Word together with him, and I knew that he was physically suffering at times through that, but what he wanted to do was he wanted to invest his life into the thing that he had invested the rest of his life in. And, and I think that he could have anticipated that the day that the Lord took him home, the ability to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He he'd invested his life into what was eternal, Right. And instead of focusing in on his his own suffering or his own struggle, instead what he chose to do is he chose to invest his life for what would last forever. and I, I just want to challenge you this morning when we think about what god 's invested in our lives, so just remind you you 've been given more than you think you have. That the gift of those gifts that God's poured into your life. Stop comparing and contrasting with others around you. But recognize that there's a gift that God's given you. And his expectation is that you invest it. When you do invest it, his promise for us is that we receive a reward from him. Because of his faithfulness and his goodness and his character. And so we anticipate the fact that, that he's worthy of our investment. And in the end of that process, what we recognize is that, is that the internal, eternal investments that we make with our time, our treasure, and our talents are things that bring glory and honor to the God that entrusted them into our care. And I, I want to hear, just like many of you do, that as we come to the end of our lives, last thing that we want to hear is, is wicked and unfaithful. But instead, we want to hear the simple and beautiful words enter into the joy of the master. Well done, good and faithful servant would you join me in prayer lord we love you and we thank you for your word and i thank you for this message that reminds us that you have um, entrusted gifts into our life to to be used for your glory and your honor i thank you for the simplicity of that last section that reminds us that you desire for us to serve one another as if it was worship to you in the way we care for and meet the needs of others that are around us. I pray for each one of us as we uh, wrestle with what what it is that you're asking of us that we'd be willing to do what those two faithful servants did to pursue opportunities to invest that they weren't told how to, but instead that they took the initiative to invest and to use the gifts that had been placed in their life. I pray for each and everybody, each and every person that's here, everyone that's online with us today, that they would consider carefully what is it that the Lord has invested in their life and then to consider what it means to not give those resources grudgingly or out of necessity, but cheerfully. Because in our core, we believe that you're worth it. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.